the media would have you believe that this Supreme Court decision, which is impending apparently, is an act of tyranny. It is an act of nine people in black robes trying to tell everybody how to live. Mm-hmm. When in fact the opposite is true. What they're doing is repealing the idea that nine people could tell each state what to do, giving it back to the states, allowing more democratic local governments to make that decision, the exact opposite of what is being said in the media. Right. And that goes back to the point that Rush Limbaugh used to make. I loved it. when he And he used to say this quite often. He would say, you know, when the left starts accusing us of something, take a look because it's almost always exactly something they have done, are doing, or are about to do. Yep. Welcome back to the Ramble Room, and welcome back, Charlie Coles. Great to see you. Good to see you folks. I met him when he gave a talk here several years ago about his book, In Russian Wonderland, and that's one of his specialties, is his familiarity with that part of the world. But he has lots of other interests, and today we're going to talk about the media. What else do you want to tell us about you? Oh, that's fine. Uh, I'm working on a sequel to that book right now, and uh, some of the articles that I've been writing for the Wyoming Conservative Chronicle are kind of give people a, a foretaste of what I'm what I'm thinking as far as writing. Uh, the part that's relevant to my background is that when I spent those six months walking the streets of hell, also known as the Soviet Union, for I was in nine Soviet cities. When I did that. 50 years ago, I never dreamed in my wildest nightmares that I would start seeing in this country things that are eerily similar to what I saw and experienced there. But just, Hold on are. just a second there, because that's really intriguing to me. And just take a second and describe two or three of those things that are most prominent in your mind. Well, okay, speaking, for example, of the media, I'll give you two examples uh, from the book. <clears throat> The first time we passed through Moscow, I noticed in the hotel room, they had a little radio up on the shelf, and basically uh, it had uh, Radio Moscow on it, and there was no channel tuner. The only, the only options were off or on. So it was, it was a way of just giving us a nice little look into what we were going to see, and that is that you're going to get the full-blown approved Communist Party, Soviet government version of everything, and that's all you're going to get. Well, fast forward to today, and I can name you several media outlets, starting with the gold standard of the New York Times, where that's kind of the way the way it is. The other thing was, uh, I guess my famous example of, uh, there was an old Russian joke about uh, some guy who uh, meets a friend on the street, and he says, um, how you doing? The other guy says, "Well, okay." He says, "But I, I, I don't know." He says, "I'm having some problems. I, I've got. I'm going to. I have to go see an eye doctor and then an ear doctor." And he says, "Why is that?" He says, "Because what I'm seeing doesn't match up with what I'm hearing." And <laughs> the classic example that I lived through with that, when we were in Donetsk, I think you've heard that name a little bit lately, but I spent six months. I'm sorry, six weeks in Donetsk, and. <clears throat> Our exhibit pavilion wasn't too far away from the hotel we were staying at. And to get there by foot, it was only a couple of blocks away. You walk past this cafeteria kind of place where a lot of the coal miners in the Donetsk area ate. So I decided one morning, I said I skipped the breakfast in the hotel. I grabbed my, the issue of Pravda there on the 
on the hotel desk, and I was looking through it on my way down to the cafeteria. I got in there, and uh, I had just read the article in Pravda. Uh, the front page, far left column, was the line for the Communist Party of the day. This is where they got their information that they needed to rely on and spread throughout the country. Well, the headline was, it was in, I think, September of 72, and the headline was, Soviet Agriculture Sets New Record. Record harvest. Never saw anything better. So I get to the cafeteria, and I'm going through the line there, and they had this long tin or or this aluminum area where they threw out the bread or what passed for it. And I looked in there, and I saw, oh, there were three or four, you know, end pieces, you know, and some some shoddy-looking bread, and I look right above it, and the sign in Russian read, uh, translated it, it read, um, uh, take only the bread you need for your meal. Bread is a treasury. Preserve it. And I said, wait a minute, but I just read about the, oh, I see. And, of course, the Soviets had an interesting way of dealing with that. I ran into an old guy in Riga, Latvia, we were standing out on the street corner waiting for a bus, <laughs> and this old fellow walked up, and he sees us Americans looking up at the top of this building across the street. Uh, a lot of the Soviet cities had, at the top of these six- and seven-story buildings, they had these huge slogans, Soviet-era slogans, and they were in white letters, great big tall things, probably about, I'm going to say, uh, three or four yards in line. They were huge. And we were sitting there reading it, and the old guy looked up there, and he starts reading this stuff out loud in Russian, the stuff. And they were the standard slogans, freedom, peace, unity, happiness. And he looked over at me and put this wry smile on his face. He said, yep, everything we haven't had here in a long time. And he kept walking. So that plus a lot of jokes was the way that they dealt with it. But... Uh, I think I'd rather not have to deal with it than have to resort to that attitude and jokes and stuff. Yeah. One of the things that that made me think of, of course, we talk all the time, comment that the book 1984, George Orwell's Mm -hmm. book, was supposed to be a warning and not a handbook. But your first point about the radio reminds me of one of the things about Winston, the main character, in his apartment. Everybody had a TV, and it's got the Big Brother's propaganda playing all the time. And you said that in Russia there's only an on switch and an off switch. They don't have an off switch anymore. You're not allowed to turn it off, and if you do, they know it and they come after you. And they're also watching you through that other way. And what that made me think about is that now we really don't have an off switch either, but it's been voluntary. We we bring all that stuff into our home and leave TV and YouTube and phones and everything running unless we're asleep. Most people turn it off when they're asleep, I guess. But we kind of invited that in and said, we don't even want an off switch. You, we want the propaganda coming in all the time. And they are watching you via Google and tracing everything that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's eerie and then the the slogans war is peace freedom is slavery etc mm-hmm. and Very there striking. is no chocolate shortage we produce yes. this many millions of pounds this year yeah. sure and but transgender transgenderism is real it's biology yeah yeah well that's an interesting point because 
and I think in my article in April issue, I did give some suggestions for what we can do in the short term, at least. Um, as to commercial television, I can't watch Fox News anymore. That's become, I don't know what kind of young folks inherited that, but they're... Um, the, so the only commercial television I ever watch, or my wife and I ever watch for any kind of news-related stuff, there's two shows on Newsmax that every once in a while I turn in. I tune in. Uh, one of them is um, um, a young fellow. Uh, well, actually, there's there's about three of them, but the ones we like to watch, Stenchfield is pretty good, and this fellow uh, comes on at 8 o'clock our time. Uh can't remember his name right now. Is it Matt somebody? Yeah, I think it's Schmidt or something like that. I, anyway. But he's uh, he's pretty good. The only thing is he's a little young, so he looks at some of this stuff. He says, my gosh, it's so shocking. Well, no, it isn't. Anybody <laughs> that lived through the 60s isn't shocking at all. It's bad memories recalled. But I did list a few, and we can make a lot of those decisions. We, we still have, maybe we don't have a totally off button, but we got a channel selector. And we can always move off of that stuff and just just absolutely stay away from it. Well, we do have off buttons mm -hmm. so far, but we choose not to use them. Is is my point? Yeah, it's voluntary. Well, unfortunately, in the East Block, where that led to, um, was they did add a few other stations, et cetera, but they were all just echoes of each other. Now that's what we have. Exactly. If you look at the social media, the legacy media, all that stuff. Uh, I've seen I've seen example. Rush Limbaugh used to love to do this. He would he would play. Listen to these sound bites, and they'd go through a, like ten of them, and they're saying and all different sources. They all have the same buzzwords. The yeah. same thing. Yeah. Here's the and it remind me of Pravda. That's mm -hmm. what the Soviets used to do. They'd give you the buzzwords in the in the left hand column of Pravda, and you were supposed to go out there and make sure that you only used the buzzwords. Uh, but and so it's kind of well, quasi-amusing in a way because they're so uh, they're they're so transparent with it. Now they don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, there used to be, and I think I covered this in the April article. There used to be some really good journalistic standards a um, hundred years ago, but those have been just flushed. These people go out there now, and it's purely. Uh, advocacy, it's not even journalism. I'm not sure what it is. It's, a, it's an arm of the, the government. I think the propaganda. Yeah, the scariest part of it to me is now, um, it was several months ago that Jan Saki, who up until I guess yesterday was, was the White mm -hmm. House press secretary, she said something a few months ago like about disinformation and misinformation. She said, yeah, we're, we're going to need to work with social media to make sure that some of this dangerous misinformation doesn't you know, get out there too much. And, and I thought at the time, oh, what could go wrong with that? The government working with Dorsey and Zuckerberg to make that. In other words, the, <laughs> the, the banning and the shadowing and all that kind of stuff on the social media, that's not enough. Now we have to look for it and make sure those people, and sure enough, what do we have now? The ministry we have of the Biden truth. administration wanting to set up in the de in the Department of Homeland Security of all places. They want this uh, disinformation governance board. 
I think it is. I wish they could have found a, a word other than disinformation. It starts with a K because it would have been KGB. It would have been well, perfect. If you, if you look up, <laughs> you look up this is disinformation, and I forget her name, but the person they put in charge of that. Jankowitz. Yeah, Jankowitz. Her hmm. picture is right there by the word dis in the 18, I swear, 1828 Webster's disinformation's got her picture. And she is, she is a specialist at disinformation. Oh, yeah. That, that's her. Not at squelching it, but yes. in dishing it out. But here's one. Just again, I found this. I just stumbled onto it. On a, the only thing I ever watch on Fox is every once in a while I get the YouTube stuff of uh, sections of Tucker Carlson. He's still pretty decent. Tucker is not afraid to say things out loud, and he just had a. He just had one. Uh, I think it was yesterday. It was Friday, and he showed up. A video clip from June of 2021, and it was Joe Biden, and he said the following out loud, seriously, into a microphone. Quote, according to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. Well, here's where it all gets dangerous, my friends. Uh, I, I am kind of a history buff. I've, I've studied a lot of history about uh, Europe and the, and the World War II era, and the pre-war and the World War II era, the Soviet Union and all that. And if you think back, uh, Tucker has a wonderful, I think I'll send you guys that link. You can watch it. It's, it's just great because he, he gets very uh, cynical with him. He, he shows, he says, yeah. Look at all these white supremacists doing all these things, and he shows all the riots and all this, and and uh, I mean it, it's it, it's it's almost humorous to watch it. But if you think about it, what did the Germans do? The Germans decided that Jewish people, Jewish Germans, were the cause of Germany having lost World War One. They participated with the. Marxists in stabbing the German army in the back, and therefore they caused all our misery, and therefore they have got to pay. And pretty soon, what did that morph into? Well, first thing we saw was the anti-Jewish slogans, the anti-Jewish laws, the Nuremberg Laws of 1935, where they took away their citizenship, they took away their their right to an education, they took away their their right to certain jobs and certain professions. The next thing we saw were these, these public displays where, and then we saw Kristallnacht in 1938, where they went and they burned down, I don't know, a thousand synagogues and prayer rooms, killed 800 Jewish people, and sent about 10,000 to Dachau, the concentration camp. And then, of course, we saw it finally went into the final solution. So that kind of thing, if it's left untreated, uh, can be an extremely dangerous thing and right now god forbid that you should be an oath keeper that's the most dangerous person in america yeah the sheridan press even said so didn't they yeah and that's funny because <laughs> when you go back to wildfile that originated that when they wrote that article the writer of that article i don't remember his name now it doesn't matter but he sent me because i was cited in there along with frank and taylor haynes and some others boone tidwell um, 
he he contacted me, asked if I would make a statement. I said no. He said why? I said because you're wildfile and you'll just twist it. And so they went ahead and printed their story, which they already had written. They were just wanting to see if I would say something that would make it worse. And then it was picked up immediately by virtually every newspaper in the state. It's been referred to multiple times through the Casper Star Tribune and through the Sheridan Press. And not one of those quote-unquote journalists has ever attempted to talk to me, to get my version of it. Absolutely nothing but crickets. And they won't. Yeah. Because today's journalists, quote-unquote, you see, they're on a mission. They have no curiosity. We, we have to understand there used to be an ironclad separation between the news se sections of, a, of an organization like that and the opinion section. Well, that, uh, that has been obliterated. The opinion section has taken over, and it passes now for news. This is so because we say it so. Uh, but back just for a moment uh, to that... To that example that I used, the Soviets had used the same example with these rich peasants, the kulaks. Stalin had them identified, and he, his goal, they had a slogan that translated to, we need to destroy the kulaks as a class, as in extermination. Well, Victor David Hansen, whom I deeply respect, uh, wrote, has written some really good stuff about some of these uh, over-the-top things that you you don't see them reported because normal people would listen to this kind of stuff and say, wait a minute, that's, that's a little bit uh, over-the-top. And here are two of these things that he wrote about very recently in a column of his. Um, he quoted... Uh, a New York psychiatrist uh, during a Yale lecture, she said, Dr. Aruna uh, Kilanani. And this New York psychiatrist in a lecture in Yale University said the following, quote, I had, she's, she's a minority person. She said, quote, I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way burying their body and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away, relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step, like I did the world a favor, end quote. Now, this, we're already, and I think my next book is going to be titled One Step Away from Tyranny, because we're, we're just a little miniature step away from this kind of thing morphing into what we saw. There's a great DVD a documentary program on Auschwitz. It was done, oh, I think about 15 years ago. And I just happened to watch a clip of it yesterday because I was looking for this one quotation uh, by a former SS <clears throat> infantryman. When they went into the Soviet Union, uh, initially their orders were uh, to kill uh, all military-aged Jewish men and also any political commissars, et cetera, that they found. Well, then, that wasn't enough. They extended it to all Jews, women, children, babies. And they interviewed one of these guys who had been in an SS infantry brigade, and they asked him, they said, well, what did you, you, you participated in these firing details? He said, yes. 
And they said, well, what was going through your mind as you shot these innocent women and children? And he looked and he thought and he said, nothing. And he paused and he said, well, he said, yeah, I did think aim, aim carefully so that you hit correctly. So then the conversation continued and he mentioned his hatred for all Jews and she, the interviewers asked him, well, what produced that? He says, well, when I was very young, these Jewish people cheated my, my family out of part of our farm and I never forgot it. Okay. Fast forward. Now he's in that firing detail. So finally she said, what in God's name, realizing the Jews, okay, you know, but what in God's name did those Jewish women and children that you were firing at, what did they have to do with what your, your family had endured? And he looked and he said, nothing at all. But for us, they were Jews. That was his answer. Now, you see the, you see the correlation here. Dangerous stuff. He had one other quote, and it came from a, a, from a fellow named Damon Young, a New York Times contributor. And he said, here's the quote, Whiteness is a public health crisis. It shortens life expectancies. It pollutes air. It constricts equilibrium. It devastates forests. It melts ice caps, it sparks and funds wars, it flattens dialects, it infests consciousness, and it kills people. You see, we can almost chuckle at that and how ridiculous it is, but this is being taught to very young children in our schools. Now think about Soviet education. German education in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s especially. This is why I say we're, we're, we're about one step away. Because if we don't get this stopped, if this continues to metastasize, uh, this society is in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. And one reason is what you're talking about, where they were, they were training the children to think that way. Our generation is going to be gone soon, and the people who come after this don't know this. They don't know their history. Right. And that's why they can tell them something that ridiculous mm -hmm. and nobody says anything. Well, and I think my, I think my June article for the Chronicle, uh, next one in May, next one up is, is on elections. And then June, I think I'm going to write a little bit about science and pseudoscience because this is another area where... <laughs> Uh, the farther the public education system, well, I like to call them government schools, the farther the government schools get away from anything moral, godly, etc., they are gradually, they have gradually attempted to replace capital G God with the small g God of science. Science is the thing. And the interesting thing about that, and I'll, I'll mention it just briefly in June in my article as a lead into it, um, there was the, the, the science of the day in the early 20th century, for the first, I'd say, 25 years of the, of the, of the, of the uh, 20th century, was eugenics. Now, that traces back to Margaret Sanger and a whole bunch of other people, but there were people who uh, 
it, it was recognized as a genuine science, and they even started to say out loud things like, well, you know, we need to, we need to clean up the human race. We need to, you know. They did, some of them used terms like human weeds and things like that. Uh, George there's, there's Bernard also, Shaw. It's also a desire to actually eradicate humans, I believe. Yes. They, they infest the earth and they mess everything well, up. Human weeds. Yeah. And uh, I've seen uh, even Karl Marx wrote uh, back in 1830-something. He wrote about uh, the, what did he call it? Völkische uh, Abfälle, which in German means literally human garbage. So look at what uh, the great playwright, the Fabian socialist, George Mark Shaw, said about it. <laughs> uh, I should I should say that there's a there's a wonderful uh, DVD program. It's called The Soviet Story, and it traces a lot of this. and And uh, I'll send you a link to it. You can get it on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Absolutely frightening. But the the thing about this is, eugenics then fed into what? Who picked up on eugenics? Adolf Hitler. And he used that scientific basis first for sterilization of those you know, lesser folks who didn't have a right to live. Their term was useless lives. And then, well, that was going to choke off their great enemy, the Jewish, but not in time. It's going to take too long. So then what they did is they said, well, the only other thing left, since they won't leave, the only other thing left is to just kill them. And so you ended up with the six infamous extermination camps. Um, that's how dangerous this, this stuff can get. So if you look at, uh, at, at science, et cetera, I mean, they're, they're, look at the flap over Roe versus Wade now. Just look at what, what the media is doing, what the, uh, the wonderful left is doing. They're going bananas over it. Uh, my dad was in the uh, old Army Air Corps during World War II. <laughs> he was a support personnel. He didn't fly. But he said the pilots in those days had a great saying. And he said, the flak is always heaviest right over the target. And when this broke, this leak, intentional leak, I'm positive, for the reasons that we now see on the streets, look, look what we have. I mean, they are going berserk. And most people uh, of that ilk, I don't think, even though these are the science lovers, there's a good news to this, too. Uh, the media doesn't show it. They try to hide it. But if you look at some of the pro-life marches, there's a lot of young people out there, yep. a lot more yep. than you'd think. Yep. And the reason is because they couldn't hide the advanced... Uh, 3D sonogram technology, which shows to an absolute scientific irrefutability mm -hmm. that is a human life in there. Well, wait a minute. If you're going to believe in science, and if, sci if, you, if, you, if you rely on science as your guidepost, well, you can't pick and choose. Science evolves. To be fair to the justices in 19... 73, when they passed Roe versus Wade, although I, I still think it was a totally political, bogus, invalid legal decision. Um, I, recently, when this stuff broke, I reread the oral arguments uh, given in Roe versus Wade, and two of the 
justices asked the attorney representing Jane Roe. They said, now, one of them said, is there any scientific or medical evidence that shows that a fetus is a human life? And at that time, they had to say, well, no. And the other justice looked over and said to the same lawyer, he said, well, now, if it were, if it were, if it were proven that it was a human life form, you'd have a real tough hill to climb here, wouldn't you? And she said, yes, sir, I would. I just want to take a second and point out, because we are talking at least in part about the, the media. The media would have you believe that this Supreme Court decision, which is impending apparently, is an act of tyranny. It is an act of nine people in black robes trying to tell everybody how to live. Mm-hmm. When in fact the opposite is true. What they're doing is repealing the idea that nine people could tell each state what to do, giving it back to the states, allowing more democratic local governments to make that decision, the exact opposite of what is being said in the media. Right. And that goes back to the point that Rush Limbaugh used to make. I loved it. when he, And he used to say this quite often. He would say, you know, when the left starts accusing us of something, take a look because it's almost always exactly something they have done, are doing, or are about to do. Yep. He was right on the mark. Well, as to the media part of that, um, there's a debate in California about a ballot proposition, which, as I understand it, if it, if it were to pass and become law, uh, it would give the, the doctor and the mother the, the same right that the Virginia governor wanted to do, and that is, after the baby is born, we'll sit down with the mother and we'll make the baby comfortable, and then we'll, we'll decide, well, what's best for this baby? In other words... It isn't first trimester anymore. It isn't second trimester, whatever those are. It isn't third. It isn't partial birth, birth abortion. It isn't even the birth canal. It's a live human being that even by your 19th century definition, when life begins, is a life. And you're talking about snuffing it out. Did I hear up to 28 days? I think it's up to a month. Yes. Yeah. It can, it can go up to four weeks. I, if, if you want to take that a step farther, I might be an advocate of that if you could take it to 18 years. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and you see how this kid turns out. <laughs> exactly, and uh, again, by the way, that's tongue in cheek. But yes, where 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 does it stop then? Exactly, it didn't stop with Adolf Hitler with the kids either. He was killing people in their eighties, especially if their parents are conservative Christians who homeschool. Well, then it then and then it's between be anything between eight and eighty should be good to go. Well, to give an example and link it back to the media on that bill, I looked up some of the discussion on it. Listen to the words that the left is using to describe this issue in, in that case in California. Uh, these are the approved, so-called approved terms that are used by them to, inf- to basically refer to... That's well, that column well, on the Pravda. Yeah, again. Yeah. And uh, here's some of the other examples as far as abortion. Pregnancy loss, reproductive health, reproductive justice... Reproductive rights, pregnant person, pregnancy outcomes, self-managing an abortion. You see, they will not stop at any length in their lunacy 
because they already believe in their hearts and minds, the journalists I'm talking about now, that they're on the right side of history. They're just trying to help us poor rubes who can't deal with our lives as they should be led. And so they're going to just help us along. And if, if a few eggs need to get busted to make that omelet, well, then so be it. And they really don't care. Um, it's, it's really become quite... The, the East Germans had a term that they used. They, they, they followed the, the Soviet camp model for, oh gosh, quite a while in East Germany. And then they figured it out. The Soviets actually transferred a little bit to this too. <laughs> they started using, rather than you know putting people in camps and beating them up, physically torturing them, all that, they said, wait a minute, no. Now there's a better way to do this. I said, let's, let's carry out, and their word in German was Zersetzung, uh, which literally means in German the decomposition of a human body after it dies. So we're going to decompose this guy. We're going to deperson. We're going to unpersonalize this guy. And the Soviets used to say a similar thing in uh, the Stalin era. They had a term called Bushichilek, which meant a former human being. In other words, if you disagree with us, we are going to, have, for the good of society, for the, for the good of the future of the world, we're going to have to just deal with you. What fiction writer used the term unpersonal? Yeah. Who was that? Was well, probably or- Orwell, wasn't it? It, it might have been Orwell. Might but have been. Uh, C.S. Lewis uses it, I think, maybe in the last... The That's possible. That's yeah. probably the one I'm thinking of, yeah. but this is exactly it's the in, same it's concept. It's in Paralandra, the unman. Yeah. And for these people, I have to realize, uh, so it was with the Soviets from the time of Lenin, right from the beginning. So it was with the Nazis. So it is with, <coughs> with uh, the Chinese communists. They inherited all that stuff. Moscow, I mean, uh, Mao learned everything he knew in Moscow at the, at the side of Joseph Stalin. Uh, and again, there's another example of the how dangerous it is. You remember the Cultural Revolution in China? That thing lasted for something like seven years. And they had people go out, Soviet style, because the Soviets had done this in the 1920s, they had them walk, come out, and, and they had uh, big signs on them saying, you know, I, I'm a, whatever, you know, some nasty, obscene word. And they had them walk over broken glass, and they had them cry, to, yeah, I confess, I mean, and then they took them out and executed them. Well, how far are we from that? I personally, you mentioned age, I'm awfully glad I'm my age, because actually I... I've already seen all. I've seen this movie. I, I saw it from a ringside seat in the theater 50 years ago, and I don't want to see it here. And that's what motivates me to write and to speak and to do, because I'm just trying to tell young people, you know, oh, for gosh sakes, be careful. Because this siren song uh, that they always sing, it's, it's monotonous. You, you can trace it from, well, let's take a word. I was just listening to uh, Salem Radio on the way over here, and this... This lady was talking about, well, you know, people have to understand what it's meant when the left says equity. You don't have to tell me about that because, uh, again, I hate to be multilingual here, but the Nazis had a term called Gleichschaltung, which meant literally making everybody the same. 
The Soviets called it Uranilovka, which means leveling off. Of course, it's always leveled down, except for the ones that are in charge, like Hillary Clinton or the others. But but look, what's also scary about all this is their total disregard for the law. They would stand there, and the media used to pump this out when Trump was in office. No man is above the law. No man is above the law. Well, unless your name is, how far back should we go? Sandy Berger? Uh, Teddy Kennedy. Obama, uh, Teddy Kennedy, Barack Obama, uh, Hillary Clinton, Joe, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. Well, it turns out, and this is something that Tucker also uh, included in this broadcast I'm going to send you. He put up on the screen... Uh, we know what the left is doing now. And again, the media is just stoking this, stoking it, stoking it. All the, the anger. How dare they take away that? Uh, and now they're out in the streets. Media outlets have participated in providing the home addresses of the, cons- of the, of the five justices who apparently are going to vote for this. And now we find here they are. They're, they're doxing them. They're, they're, they're out there in the streets in front of their houses. And Tucker cites 18 U.S. Code 1507. Just listen to this. Liz Cheney, are you listening to this? Pay attention. Quote, whoever with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States, Portland, or in a, or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer, or with such intent uses any sound truck or similar device or resorts to any other demonstration in or near any such building or residence, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned. You hear, you hear those crickets? Those are heroes out there. Yeah, you hear those crickets? fighting for liberty. That's, that's the left media. Oh, they have nothing to say about this. Mm-hmm. But they'll, they'll somehow take this one and they'll start talking about January 6th all over again. Well, Which, so, just real quick, we had a chance to see James O'Keefe. Yeah. And one of the little film clips that he showed was of somebody who had been there on a, a newspaper person who had been there on January 6th. And everybody was saying things to him like, well, didn't you fear for your life? And he said, ah, it was nothing. <laughs> you don't hear that. Yeah, well, he's and he's similar to Andy No and some of those others that have done things like that. Those guys got a lot of guts. I, my, yeah. I take my hand off to them. Um, they... They remind me of uh, of some other people. Uh, there's another fellow named David Delayden. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. He's one that uh, he 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 did some of the videos where they were talking to the Planned Parenthood gal that was talking about used baby parts for sale. Yeah, was that under Project Veritas? Because they I did think the they same were thing. associated with it. But this yeah. is the actual guy who did that interview and did okay. the filming. Well, he's under. Civil and criminal indictment in California for that, and the judge in ordered, California. In California, the the guy who took the the video, 
Right. The one who exposed this, the right. crimes, the federal right. crime, not the, I, the yeah, ones doing it. I'll take the exclamation uh, point. <laughs> and uh, he's been ordered to pay by the judge to Planned Parenthood uh, several million dollars in their legal fees. This passes for justice in in the United States, circa 2022. This is this is really jaw dropping, frightening stuff that we're seeing. And I guess my point in all these articles, I, I like to read. I'd like to also try to include some kind of stuff we could do about it. Well, I think the first thing you need to do about the media is you need to understand it. You need to know a little bit about where it was what it used to be, and, and then what happened to it. That's why I recommended this book, Partisan Journalism, by uh, a fellow named uh, Jim Kuypers. He's, uh, he's a professor of uh, communication at the University of Virginia Tech, I think. Um, but uh, he traces back, all the way back to the, way back in the, in the partisan days of journalism, the real partisan days, those papers were owned by the parties. And they existed only to publish the party line. Well, people decided, you know, that's that's now we got to read two different papers to get an article to decide which one's right. So they basically started to to enter a phase uh, which was called realistic journalism. In other words, we need to be honest, objective, and we need to cover all the facts so that people can make enlightened judgments about it. And then he traces it all the way through from that, uh, as I wrote in the April article, to uh, <laughs> to where we are today. And now it's pure and simple, full-blown advocacy. There's no pretense. I've even heard, I think Lester Holt, NBC was one of them. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he, was, he moderated one of the uh, Trump-Biden debates. Yeah, moderated. Uh, he even said one time, I think, well, the whole idea of objectivity is just overrated. That's passe. We, do, yeah, that's, we, we can't. We, it's not constructive. We have a duty to, to ourselves and to our, our, our fellow citizens and to the future to make sure that we you know, help guide folks al- along the way. That so, really that, came out with the Trump administration. Yeah. They they kind of openly had meetings that said, you know, we used to try to be objective, but now the gloves are off. We've got yeah. to get rid of this guy. Yeah. Well, because he what look what he did. Yeah. He he had the brazen temerity to 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 uh cheat the queen out of her rightful throne. I mean, you can't do that and get away with it. <laughs> Besides, he's did also you, the only one in living memory who would just stand up and call him out. Did so, you see uh, the picture of the queen in her red robe unmasked? <laughs> with a whole bunch of people behind her, press people with cameras, whatnot. they're all wearing masks. I think there was one that wasn't. <laughs> and then behind her, kneeling, was a black man wearing a mask and straightening the, the hem of her gown. <laughs> There's your Queen Hillary. No significance yeah. there. No. I, I wanted to just take a second, though, and go back to this, this Trump thing. It isn't Trump that they hate, it's us. Sure. Because when Trump came along, I'm not, a, I'm not at all enamored with him. I think he's a jerk. But his policies were dead on right. Mm-hmm. And that's what impressed me, and that's why I'm pulling for him at this point. 
Yeah, I I I hear you with that. Uh, my wife and I were pretty strong Ted Cruz folks in 2016 so until that didn't work out. But uh, and I've looked at Trump uh, again. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think his heart was in the right place. He was trying to do things that really would help this country get out of some of the mess that Obama left him. Um, now on the other side of that, uh, we don't need to be, you know, Trumps to. I have told some of my best friends who are very strong Trump supporters. I said, well, uh, certainly if it comes down to 2024, Trump versus any of these lunatic Democrats, I'll vote for Trump. I'll go out there and beat the bushes for him. But I said, Donald Trump's biggest problem, in my estimation, is he just he didn't know what he didn't know. And he made some glaring mistakes that, that really cost him. Um, the... Um, the one I just did on elections, the 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 article. I, I think I even mentioned in there. I I don't even, I don't even I don't blame the Democrats for for doing what they did in that election anymore. And I blame wolves for hunting down the sheep. That's who they are. That's what they do. What they do. Yeah. And Trump seemed to have this. I think it was uh, Root, Mr. Root, Wayne Al Root, who said uh, that he he uh, he had personally tried to warn the president about what these Democrat lawyers were doing in consonance with some of these state legislatures. <clears throat> and Trump a couple of times says, don't worry, we got this. We got this. Okay, we got this. And now we got this. Uh, I think it's it was the Republican lawyers. But as to Trump himself, I wish I wish we could have him in a in a, a close to Jesus talk someday to just say, wait a minute, remember something here. The United States of America is a constitutional republic, and we don't need a Führer. We need a constitutional president. So when you say, I did this and I did that and I did this and I gave that, no, come on. Had he not resorted to doing all those executive orders, mm -hmm. those you see can be, those can be, and they were. Yeah. They were bagged day one when the trespasser took over. That was it. All of his stuff, gone. No more wall. No more of this, no more of this. They just bagged it all. Well, that's a danger. And that's why the system was designed the way the framers designed it. Yeah. The people's representatives should decide these things, including whether or not abortion should be legal, and if so, in what cases, etc. It's not for nine unelected lawyers wearing black robes to decide. That never was. Mm -hmm. Now, those of us that share the Christian faith can lament the fact that that because of that one lousy decision, 63 million innocent babies have been, I'll just say the word, murdered. Period. And, you know, one law professor, did you happen to see the DVD on Roe versus Wade? It was done by Kennedy, the Kennedy Ministries. I'll have to send over that site for you. You can get it. They go We're right going to be Roe. busy for a while. <laughs> they go right through Roe versus Wade, and they show the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's all has come out now. A lot of that was family interview. You know, the daughters of the justices are saying, oh, Dad, you can't vote. You've got to go on with us. This is women's right and all this. Well, where was the representative of the little baby in the womb? Yeah, they always want to say this is between the mother and the doctor. <laughs> yeah, how about yeah, the— Yeah, there are two people in the room. How about the object of the exercise? Yeah, there oh. are— there are two people in the room. No. no, there are three. Yeah. So whether it's Jews in Germany in the 1930s, rich peasants in uh, Stalin's Soviet Union, uh, landowners in uh, Mao's China, 
Batista supporters in, Cadel, in Fidel's uh, Castro's Cuba. Uh, white supremacists may, I guess what it is now, it looks like it's narrowing in on, uh, I think you and I better really watch our step because it looks like it's, it's white, constitutionally conservative Christian males. We seem to be the next uh, ones in line. We're the, the dregs of society, the part that needs to be unpersoned. Yeah, yeah, decomposed, as the East Germans say. A little premature, perhaps, but hey, well, it's going to happen anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've often told some of my younger friends, I said, well, you guys enjoy, I said, I, I, I couldn't be happier to be my age, knowing where I'm going to go eventually anyway, and for now, living in Wyoming. God help me if I were 35 living in, I don't know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I, I, I can't even picture that. But, you know, as far as it, th this also is going to take some education, it's going to take some learning, it's going to take some preparation for people, but it's also going to take a heck of a dose of courage. Uh, three names come to mind, and I guarantee you that not one graduate of the Columbia School of Journalism knows anything about any of the three of these men. One of them's name was uh, Gareth Jones. He was an investigative reporter, a Welshman, I believe. And in the early 1930s, when Stalin was collectivizing agriculture and he was starving to death seven million Ukrainians intentionally, this fellow went to the Ukraine. And he spoke a little Russian, and he was down in there, and he, he saw. And he wrote about what he saw. Durante, the famous Pulitzer Prize winner, well, he said, no, there's, no, there's a little hunger here and there, but this is nothing serious. Well, Garth, uh, this fellow Gareth Jones took him on. He said, oh, no, you don't. He says, I've been there. I've been to the railway stations. I've seen these kids starving on the platform with their distended bellies and a dying of starvation. Well, that took a lot of courage because, of course, the Soviets threw him out. He went on an expedition to China, and the Soviet secret police, the NKVD, found him, and they killed him in China. Another one is named um, Fritz Gerlich. Guarantee nobody in journalism school knows who that was. He was a German, general, uh, German journalist who took a very close look at Adolf Hitler, and he started in the... About 1929, 1930, he started writing the truth about Adolf Hitler and what this guy really wanted to do. Well, uh, right after Hitler became chancellor in 1933, a couple months later, this guy was put under protective custody. That's what the stormtroopers called it. Took him down to Dachau, and uh, a couple months later, they, they killed him. And Senator sent his ashes back to to his wife. And the third one is a British guy named Malcolm Muggeridge. He also wrote the truth out of Stalin's thing, but he did so in a very interesting way. He, he wrote his piece two days before he was due to get out of the Soviet Union. He says, I know I knew what was going to happen. You write that kind of stuff in the Soviet Union, you're going to be popped. They'll throw you out of there the next day. And he said, I didn't care. I was going to write the truth anyway. It's going to take some people like that, I'm afraid, uh, someday to just stand in the stand in the shoes of a little Chinese kid in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square and say, oh, oh, no more. 
The East German people did it in 1989. We may have to do it yet. I don't know. We'll see. We had that little dessert with James O'Keefe. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that he always gets, he got last night, which was, what can we do? And he said, you got to do something. Yep. He said, you do something, and if you're too afraid to do that, you support somebody who's going to do something. Right. He said, the only other thing that you can do is nothing. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest, he said, do one of the first two. There's another fellow that's uh, just put out another uh, book last year, uh, Breaking the News. Good title for a, a book. He's uh, one of the editors at Breitbart, and he says similar things in his conclusion. He says, you got to do something. Yeah. You can't just sit here you know, mute. You, you, even if it's talk to a neighbor, register to vote, become a poll watcher, run for your local school board, write a letter to the editor, do something but speak up and speak out. Otherwise... O- O'Keefe's other theme was on the other side of fear is freedom. Mm-hmm. You're going to be afraid. Do it anyway. Yeah. Uh I've watched some of the old uh, DVDs made when CNN was still CNN <laughs> before it metastasized into what it is. It was uh, pretty bad to start with. but Well, actually, they did a really good series on the Cold War. And the series, the, the, the episode where uh, the Hungarians and the Poles and the East Germans, of all people, the East, East, the East Germans were the most supplicant, uh, robotic Soviet supporters there were. They called it the miniature Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from the Stasi organization, uh, all the way to, I mean, it was a brutal regime. And yet, by 1989, these people in East Germany had had enough. They were out in the streets in numbers that they would have had to kill them all. And the one lady, I remember, she said, well, it translates from the German to, uh, finally we reached the point where they wanted to dialogue with us, but the time for dialogue was over. It was time for confrontation. And again, I'm not one of these. I'm not suggesting that anybody pick up pitchforks, weapons. or No. But I'm saying that with the rights that we have, we need to exercise them now. Or we're going to lose them. George, George Santayana was right. That's the good news. Mm-hmm. George Santayana was right. That's the bad news. Yeah. Yeah, and a friend of mine told me one time, he said, you know what? He said, Santayana was right uh, about uh, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. He said, but you know what? It's starting to look like those of us that do know it are doomed to, to live through it as well. So it's the time in which we live, and I guess maybe the good Lord put us here for a reason, and maybe one of the reasons is speak up, speak out, or you will forever hold your peace because these guys mean business that i still say to my friends you've seen the appetizer where do you see the seven course meal you're not gonna believe it in honor of a i would like to invite you to listen to the ramble room at your choice of the following options podbean spotify apple Podcasts, or over the intercom at the quickie mart and sometimes in an elevator near you thank you very nice